Good evening and welcome to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. Tonight is Thursday night, December 9th, 2021. And I am so grateful to every one of you for being here tonight. This is such a wonderful opportunity for us to be able to gather in this way and to study together. And I thank you for being here. Arthur Schopenhauer was a philosopher in the 19th century. And he once asked, what do porcupines do in winter? If they come too close to one another, they injure each other. But if they stay too far apart, they freeze. Life for porcupines is a delicate balance between closeness and distance. And it's hard to get it right. And it's dangerous to get it wrong. And so it is for us. Too close and we could hurt one another. Too distant and we could freeze. That is the force of the word that gives our Parsha its name, Vayigash, and he came close. And this is, in fact, a major theme of the second half of the book of Bereshus, which is coming to an end soon. And there is a foreshadowing of this theme earlier the beginning of the Parsha of Vayetze, Vayetze Yaakov. Yaakov leaves home and he sleeps the night and he has a dream. That's the dream with the ladder. But first, the Torah says, in preparing to sleep, the Torah says, Vayikach me'avne hamokom. Yaakov took stones from the area and he built a little. area, a, a little protective area around himself with these stones so that he could go to sleep safely. That night he has the dream and he wakes up in the morning. But when he wakes up in the morning, listen carefully to what the Torah says. By Yashkem Yaakov, Aboker Yaakov woke up in the morning by Yikach es ha'even asher some of and Yaakov takes the stone that he had placed beside his head. How is it that the night before he took stones, plural, and in the morning there's only one stone? So our rabbis in the Medrash say that overnight a miracle happened and the stones the numerous stones united into one large stone as a prophecy about what Yaakov will eventually accomplish with his family. Aviva Zornberg points out the fusing of the stones into one is an almost surrealistic image for Yaakov's central preoccupation for stones do not fuse. They stubbornly 
stonily preserve their separateness. The enterprise of raising twelve sons, twelve tribes, seems similarly incapable of producing unity or harmony. To raise up a family, to raise up twelve tribes, is to engage with chaos, with the indeterminate and diverse And to be able to create harmony and a wholeness out of that difference is something that is miraculous. And as we learn in Boratius, and as we know in our own lives, the miracle of stones unifying into one stone is much smaller and much easier than unifying a family. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs points out that on one level, we see this entire drama work out with Yehuda, Yaakov's fourth son, but the son who will emerge by the end of the Book of Beratius as the leader the progenitor of the kings, the sovereigns of Israel. But remember, Yehuda is the one who orchestrated a monstrous plot to kill his brother Yosef. And then, plan B, to sell Yosef as a slave. That happened in the Parsha Vayeshev. And remember the words that took place there. Remember the brothers were pasturing their sheep. Yaakov told Yosef, who remained at home, the Torah tells us he was only 17 years old, Yaakov said to Yosef, go find your brothers and see how they're doing. The Torah tells us, Vayiru oso merochok. The brothers saw Yosef approaching from a distance. Ubiterim yikrav alehem. And before Yosef came close to them, before Yosef approached them, while he was still at a distance, Vayisnaklu oso lahamiso. They plotted together to kill him, to murder him. From a distance, they can't see his face. All they can see is the ksones pasim, that special garment of many colors that Yaakov had given his favorite son, that had made them so jealous and angry. And the key word in this passage is merachok. They saw him at a distance from afar. From far away, we don't see people as human beings. And when we stop seeing people as human beings and they become instead symbols or objects of envy and hate, that's when people can do terrible things to one another. 
the tragedy perpetrated by Yehuda against Yosef was distance. The tragedy of frozen porcupines. And the only way to fix that is to come close. Vayigash, and he approached. That's our Parsha. Vayigash Yehuda, Yehuda comes close. Yehuda approaches. The irony is, in our Parsha, when Yehuda finally comes close to Yosef, while this may have been the first time in his adult life that Yehuda stood close to Yosef. But remember, at this moment, at the beginning of our Parsha, Yehuda does not even know that it is Yosef. But that simple act of coming close, Vayigash, melted all of Yosef's reserve, all the hurt, all the history, all the distance melted. And in response to that vayigash, in response to that approaching, coming close, being able to see the humanity of each other, Yosef finally reveals himself. Vayomer Yosef el Echov. Yosef says to his brothers, Ani Yosef. I am Yosef. And the first thing he does is he draws them close. Vayome Yosef el Echov, Geshuna Eli. Yosef says to his brothers, Come close. I want to embrace you. Vayigoshu. And they all come close, they all embrace. And the next priority, Yosef says, we must hurry and gather our family together again. And when you all come, Vahisa Karovelai, then we will you will all be close to me. We will again be close. We will be like one stone harmoniously fused from the chaos of the previous decades. And that happens purely as a result of Vayigash. Distance creates chaos. Coming together creates unity, harmony, and coherence. In a sense, that's the story of every family. Every immediate family and every extended family as well. Yossi Klein Halevi is a well-known Israeli journalist and author. He identifies himself as a right-wing religious Jew. And recently he wrote an article 
titled, To the Students Who Walked Out on Palestinian-Israeli Dialogue. That's the title of the article. And here's some of what he says. How should an Israeli lecturer respond when confronted with a BDS walkout on an American campus? Last month, so now he tells the story of what happened. Last month, I spoke, he, Yossi, spoke, together with my friend Mohammed Daraushi, one of Israel's leading activists for empowering and integrating Arab citizens into the mainstream. The two of them spoke at the University of Illinois. We were invited by the university's administration, and we were there to model a respectful conversation about the future of Israeli society and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. When the event began, several dozen students staged a walkout. And here is what I said in that hall when that happened. He writes as follows. There are two warring cultures playing out in this hall. Those warring cultures are not Muslims versus Jews, not even Israelis versus Palestinians. Instead, the war is between those who are committed to sitting together, looking each other in the eye, and trying to make peace, right? Vayigash. And those who are committed to a culture of cancellation, boycott, hyperbole, and hatred, meirachok, distance. He went on to say, Mohammed and I have many difficult issues to unpack. On some crucial issues we agree, and on some we disagree. For us, these are not political debating points. These are life and death issues for ourselves, our families, our peoples. And yet we are committed to unpacking these issues together because we realize that the alternative is much worse. The alternative to Vayigash is catastrophe. What we're modeling here today, he writes, is a painful conversation. It's a conversation about injustice, about fears for existence. Everyone has grievances and wounds. We can continue along the path of feeding those grievances and wounds, and we see where that has brought us. Meirachok. Or we can try a different way. This alternative way is painful, vayigash. It is less emotionally gratifying than the walkout, but we're committed to sitting together, vayigash, and doing the hard work and hopefully presenting a model not only for the issues that Muhammad and I have no choice but to deal with, but perhaps for other issues in other parts of the world. Vayigash 
not merachok. Vayigash is the only way. <clears throat> I want to share a piece from Rabbi Yisachar Frand about another moment in that scene. Actually, just the next verse. Excuse me, the verse before. So, Yehuda begins the Parsha with this speech and Yosef cannot hold himself back anymore. Yosef could not delay, could not hold himself back, could not contain himself in front of all the people that were gathered there. Vayikra, and he called out, Everyone leave the room meaning except for the 12 men who are here. But everybody else, the advisors, the guards, the, the, the workers, the secretaries, the, everybody else, leave the room. There was no other person present when Yosef revealed himself to his brothers. When he said those words, Ani Yosef, there were only... 13 people in the room. The 13, I'm sorry, there were only 12 people in the room. The 12 sons. The 12 brothers. Why did everybody have to leave the room? Why did Yosef clear the room before he revealed himself to his brothers? Rashi explains because he did not want the other Egyptians, the workers, the guards, the advisors, he did not want his the Egyptians to see his brothers embarrassed when he revealed his identity because this was going to be a terribly embarrassing moment. It was going to bring up everything that the brothers had done. So to protect them from being embarrassed in the presence of the other people, no one else is present. Only Yosef and his brothers when he reveals himself. Our rabbis in the Medrash quote one opinion that says, Yosef did not act wisely in choosing to do that. What he did was actually reckless because there was a history between himself and his brothers. They had tried to kill him. Who knows what they might try to do now? And he has left himself without any protection, without any bodyguards. Why would he leave himself vulnerable, not knowing how they're going to react? They're 11 against one. Who knows what's going to happen? Yosef was reckless in emptying the room. Why did he do that? The answer is that Yosef was acting in a way that is later expressed in a famous line in the Talmud. It is better for a person to throw themselves into a fiery furnace rather than to cause their fellow to be embarrassed. 
in order not to embarrass his brothers, Yosef was willing to take a risk. Maybe he would not be safe. He was willing to risk it in order not to embarrass his brothers. Mr. Avi Shulman from Torah Masora was a great man. And he told the following story. There was a well-known Jewish educator, a Rebbe in a school. And he was once asked, which of your teachers had the greatest impact on you when you were a student? And without hesitating, this very accomplished teacher said, it was my fifth grade Rebbe, my teacher when I was in fifth grade. And he told the following story. We were in class. And there were a number of boys in the class that were making some trouble and they would not quiet down. And so the Rebbe wrote their names on the blackboard and said to them, after class, you're going to, you're going to be punished. All of a sudden, the principal of the school walked in unannounced just to give a little surprise quiz to the students. So the principal is standing in front of the blackboard facing the students and he starts asking the students questions. Meanwhile, the teacher is standing behind the principal close to the blackboard and he's just walking back and forth behind the principal. But as he does so, he's rubbing his shoulder each time against the blackboard so that each time he passes by, a little bit more of the names that had been written on the blackboard is erased. And by the time the principal is finished, and the teacher escorts the principal out of the classroom. The board is empty. And the teacher's suit is white from the chalk. And this Rebbe now says, looking back when he was a student, I realized that although these students with their names on the board were deserving of punishment, but he did not want to embarrass them in front of the principal who had come in. And therefore, even though it might have ruined his own suit, he was willing to risk that in order not to embarrass the students who had misbehaved. And he says, I never forgot that teacher. That teacher made the biggest imprint on me and perhaps led to my success as a teacher. Yosef teaches us a crucial lesson, and it's so practical. Never embarrass or humiliate someone. Even if it's hard for you, even if it puts you at risk, don't embarrass another.
permit me to share with you another very, very relevant <clears throat> piece from Rabbi Mordechai Willig. So after Yosef reveals himself to his brothers and they all hug, Yosef says to his brothers, please go back home and bring Yaakov, bring my father here and I'll take care of you. Remember, there was still a famine going on. Egypt was the only place that there was food. Bring the whole family and I will take care of you and we'll be together. We'll be together. But go, hurry to Yaakov and bring him here. And Yosef gives the following instruction. Vaishalach es echov. Yosef sent his brothers Vayelchu and they went. Vayomer alehem. But Yosef said to them before they left. Al tirgazu baderech. Don't argue on the way home. Don't fight amongst yourselves as you travel home. And for good reason, Yosef warned them about this because can you imagine what that journey was like? Can you imagine what was going on among the brothers as they went back from Egypt to tell Yaakov that Yosef is alive? So first of all, what are they going to say to Yaakov? How are they going to explain how Yosef is actually alive? And can you imagine the recriminations between them and the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment and it's your fault and you is your idea and I shouldn't have listened to you or I should have listened to you? Can you imagine the turmoil that must be going on during that journey back? Yosef was very right to urge them. Al-Tirgazu Baderach. But Rashi says something very curious. Rashi says, Al-Tirgazubaderach means something a little bit more specific. Al-Tisasku Bidvar Halacha Baderach. While you're traveling home, don't discuss any issue of Jewish law. That's kind of strange. What's wrong with discussing Jewish law? I mean, studying Torah? That's usually a good thing. Why would Yaakov tell them, don't, don't talk about Torah, don't talk about Jewish law? Well, some of the commentators say, well, you know, if people are involved in studying Torah and they're very immersed in it and they're very engaged in it, they may uh, lose their way and not get home as quickly. So, you know, don't get involved in any heavy topics. Just go straight home. Tell Yaakov, bring him back. All right. Could be. Doesn't seem to resonate so well with the context of what's happening. But listen, please, to what the Kliyakar says. Kliyakar is one of the classic commentators to the Torah. The Kliyakar says as follows. The Kliyakar says that Yosef assumed 
that it would be a tumultuous trip back. That they would be upset. That there would be a certain amount of arguing and recrimination. It's unavoidable. Yosef says to them, given that, don't discuss any matter of Jewish law because when you are angry, you are likely to make a mistake. If you're discussing Jewish law while you're angry, you are likely to come up with a conclusion that is wrong. And therefore, Yosef told his brothers, don't discuss halacha. Don't discuss Jewish law while you're angry. And our sages extend this to other situations, and it applies to us as well. You know, within the Jewish world today, there are different groups, different denominations, different philosophies, different hashkafos, different ideologies different customs. How do we respond, react to groups who differ from our path on crucial issues, whatever the subject may be? The eternal message of the Torah is do not get angry over matters of Jewish law. You could argue State your position, support your position, disagree with another position forcefully, passionately, but not with anger. Because once you get angry, you're going to make a mistake. Not just because if you get angry, there'll be a lack of shalom, a lack of peace, and peace is more important. That's not the only reason. It's not only that peace is more important than being right, but it's also the case that we risk not even being right if we come to a conclusion while we're angry because we're liable to make a mistake. That's the nature of anger and it's inevitable. No one is immune to this. We have to be so careful, especially in our interactions between different groups of Jews where we're discussing differences of opinion in Jewish law not to let it get angry. Because if it gets angry, if we're angry, we're going to be wrong. We're going to make a mistake. Permit me to share with you one last piece tonight. And this is a piece that is <clears throat> based on an essay by Rabbi Zev Leff. So the brothers travel back to Israel, to Canaan, and they come to 
Vayalu mimitzrayim, vayavo eretz kanan el Yaakov avihem, and they come back to their father Yaakov. Vayagidu lo lemor, and they say to him, Od Yosef chai, Yosef, your son is still alive. Vechihu Moshel b'chol eretz mitzrayim, he is the ruler of all of Egypt. I mean, can you imagine? Vayafog libo. Yaakov's heart was numb. Ki lo hemin lehem. He didn't believe it. It's, it's absurd. It's, it's not possible. He didn't believe it. That's his first reaction, which I think is very reasonable. Who could believe such a thing after what Yaakov had experienced? He didn't believe it. Vayidabru elav ace called divrei Yosef asher diber alehem. They, the sons, quoted to Yaakov all of the words that Yosef had said to tell their father. Vayar es ha'agalos, and Yaakov saw the wagons, the moving vans, the wagons. Asher sholach Yosef lasseis oso, that Yosef had sent to carry him and his family back to Egypt. Vatachi ruach Yaakov avihem, and the spirit of their father Yaakov came back to life. It does appear from the verse that what convinced Yaakov that this was actually true was seeing the wagons. Vayar es ha'agolos asher sholach Yosef lasesoso. Yaakov saw the wagons that Yosef had sent to carry him back to Egypt. Vatachi ruach Yaakov avihem and the spirit of Yaakov came awake again. What's so special about the wagons? Why is it that seeing the wagons is what does it? That's that's what convinces Yaakov that Yosef is really alive. Your son's telling you that you don't believe. But when you see the wagons, now that's for sure. Now I understand. Now I'm convinced. But there's an additional problem with this. Because Yosef is not the one who sent the wagons. The Torah told us very clearly in the verses before that, what I just read. Paro sent the wagons. Va'ata tsuvesa zosasu. Paro says to Yosef, tell your brothers, this is what you should do. Kehulachem me'eretz mitzrayim agolos. Take wagons from Egypt. Take them with you. And you'll use the wagons to carry everything back. So, so Yosef is not the one that ordered the wagons. It was Paro. And if it was Paro, then what kind of a message about Yosef does Yaakov receive from the wagons if the wagons were not sent by Yosef, they were sent by Paro? 
And by the way, the Torah even repeats this when they actually do travel. The Torah says that Vayiso, they traveled to down to Egypt, Ba'agolos Asher Sholach Paro, in the wagons that Paro had sent for them. So it's clear Paro sent the wagons. So how did the wagons convince Yaakov that Yosef was still alive? Rabbi Leff points out a very tiny detail. You could read this parsha a dozen times and you might miss this tiny detail, but it's crucial. It goes as follows. There's a slight difference between what Paro commanded about the wagons and what Yosef actually did concerning the wagons. It's very subtle. It's a tiny detail, but it's crucial. Listen carefully. One more time. Paro says, Va'ata tsuvesa zosasu says to Yosef, this is what you should tell your brothers to do. Take from Egypt wagons, letapchem v'linshechem, for your family members, for the men, the women, the children, and carry your father along with the whole family and come. And come quickly. Remember, there's a famine. Paro wants to help facilitate this reunion as quickly as, as, as possible. Don't worry about any of your objects. Don't worry about your possessions. You don't, you don't have to pack up the furniture. You don't have to, you don't have to bring your books. You don't have to just leave everything. I, because we ha, whatever you need, we have it here. <laughs> my grandfather used to say, whenever we would take a trip, whenever you're packing, my grandfather would say, he would say, pack half as much clothes and twice as much money. <laughs> because Whatever you need, you can buy it wherever you are. So Paro says, don't worry about your stuff. The wagons are for the people. Your stuff, just leave it there. You'll buy new in Egypt. You'll get new furniture. You get new clothes. You get whatever you need. Egypt has everything you need. Just come right away. That's what Paro said. However, when Yaakov, I'm sorry, when Yosef actually sent the wagons, Yosef understood that Paro's exact command was not going to work. Paro said, leave all your stuff. Just take the wagons for the people because you can replace all the stuff here in Egypt. Paro did not understand, but Yosef did understand that this was going to be a very, very difficult trip for Yaakov to take. 
even once Yaakov got over the shock of Yosef still being alive, Yaakov would have great difficulty with the idea of leaving Israel to go to Egypt. Rabbi Moshe Lichtenstein points out, remember, of course, this is not the first time that Yaakov is leaving the land of Israel. Years earlier, Yaakov left Israel to go to the house of Lavan. But that time it was for a practical reason. Well, two reasons. One is his brother had threatened to kill him, and the other is he wanted to find a wife. He knew it was going to be a limited amount of time, and he was going to come back. But this time, Yaakov understands that his stay in Egypt will last much, much longer because he's leaving the land of Israel in order to settle in Egypt, in order to create there a nation. And that takes a long time. It will certainly take more than Yaakov's lifetime. In other words, Yaakov understands that he will not be coming back to Israel. It means that God's promise to Avraham, repeated to Yitzchak and repeated to Yaakov, that God would give to them and their descendants the land of Israel, that that promise is being pushed back a long time. And Yaakov will not be there to see it. Vayomer Elokim Israel Bamaras Halilag. So God appears to Yaakov in a dream. Vayomer Anochi Hakel Elokeavicha. I am the God of your father. Altira Meridamitrayim. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. And our rabbis in the Medrash say, whenever God tells you, don't be afraid, it means there's a pretty good reason that you should be afraid, but God is saying, don't be afraid. Okay. Don't be afraid. Ki gadol asim chasham, because I'm going to make of you a great nation there. But, you know, that's a, that's a bittersweet comment, because that means we're going to be there for a long time. I'm going with you, God says to, 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 to Yaakov. I'm going to go with you to Egypt. And I'm going to bring you back. This is a promise, but remember, this is going to be centuries in the future. I'm going to bring you back. And you're going to be reunited with Yosef. But Yaakov was worried. Yaakov was not happy about this. God tells Yaakov, this is a mission. I am sending you to do this. This is what I want the plan to be. Okay? Yaakov says, Hineni, here I am. I'm, I'll, I'll follow your mission. But it was not easy. It was painful. It was difficult. Yosef understood that if Paro's plan was communicated to Yaakov. Paro's plan that he was only going to send the wagons for the people, leave all the things behind, replace them with Egyptian stuff. Yaakov would not come. 
Yaakov would be worried about the effects of assimilation, Egyptian clothing, Egyptian books, Egyptian furniture. And therefore, what Yosef did is he made a slight change in what Paro had told him. He fulfilled the spirit of what Paro said, send wagons so that Yaakov will come back. But Yosef understood he had to send more wagons. He had to send wagons not only for the people, but also for the possessions, for the Sfarim, for the Torah scrolls, for the mezuzah, for the Hanukkah menorah, for the tefillin, for the Shabbos candles. Because without those objects that would concretize their identity in an alien culture, Yaakov would not have come. And therefore, Yosef added wagons for their possessions so that they could recreate their environment in Egypt. And so, in fact, when Yaakov and his family came, they came with the people, and they came with all of their possessions. Similarly, Yosef coached his brothers and told them, when Paro asks you, what job do you do? What profession do you have? Yosef says to his brothers, tell them you're shepherds. And our sages explain because shepherds were not looked highly upon in Egypt. And they would be living in an area of Goshen away, away from the rest of the community, like Cote St. Luke. Yosef suggested this so that there would be an opportunity for Yaakov and his entire family to survive in this Egyptian exile with a measure of remaining apart with a measure of separateness, distinctiveness. That's the only way they would be able to survive, by maintaining their Jewish names, by maintaining their Jewish language, by maintaining their Jewish objects that they had with them. They couldn't just buy everything new in Egypt. They had to fight against assimilation in order to remain distinct so that there would be a distinct people ready when God is ready to come back to Israel. We today face the same challenge. In this wonderful country, which treats us so well, which offers us such opportunity which invites us into every sphere of society. Baruch Hashem, thank God. But also, it's dangerous for us. It's dangerous for our soul. It's dangerous for our Jewish identity. And we need our possessions with us. Our homes must have a mezuzah must be filled with sfarim. 
Our institutions of synagogues and schools must be supported, but even more importantly than supported, they must be attended. It's not enough to have the books on the shelves. They must be worn, used, constantly wearing out and replaced. Because if we don't take concrete measures, we, and certainly our children, will not be able to hold on to our beautiful 4,000-year-old traditions. A person can be so open-minded that their brains fall out. A Jew can be so enmeshed in the wider society that their soul dries up. Yaakov knew what he had to take with him on this dangerous journey. And Yosef knew how he had to reassure his father it would be okay. We must tightly hold on to the same message. My friends, I want to wish you a great evening and a wonderful Shabbos. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.